Hello, everyone, and welcome to Opera After Dark. What the hell? <laughs> Which is the title of our, our umbrella title <laughs> of the next few episodes, or perhaps the last episode, <laughs> and this one. And in any case, umbrella title for this current series, which is uh, What the Hell, Opera Plots. Opera Plots. Um, I'm Elspeth. I'm Kyle. And I'm Naomi. And I suppose I will discuss this wine yeah, in brief. Do. Go uh-huh. for it. Um, so we are drinking an Argentinian Malbec. It's called Padrios. It has a lovely picture of horses on it, which you can't see, but it's very beautiful. Couple of ponies. And couple of ponies. And the back says... <laughs> I love it that you're reading this for the first time. I haven't seen this. Okay. Go for it. <laughs> Do you need some help? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Okay. <clears throat> Imagine a herd of wild stallions. <laughs> this is why you picked I know, it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, here, should I? No, oh, no, you, you should, should do it. You should do it. I can do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, 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 okay. okay. Ooh, um, uh, imagine a herd of. Oh, God. I, I swear I can get through this. If not, we'll pass the you Naomi. You want to switch it off? I can do half of it. Imagine a herd of wild stallions galloping over smooth white hills, their black coats reflecting the light of the moon. This very image lived inside winemaker Ernesto Catena's mind. Uh, and kept his primal attachment to land and nature alive during his time as a university student. After years of travel, when Ernesto planted the vineyard in Mendoza, Padrios was born. (laughs) So we know nothing about the wine. We know a little bit about Ernesto. And it has nothing to do know. with what we're and talking about. And it fits perfectly with our what the hell, hell theme. As you can tell, we've had a fair amount of this already. Um, <laughs> so we're going to start off, and Naomi, you're actually going to lead this, because we don't even know what you're talking about. This is going to be a surprise. Right. Yeah. So the premise of this particular series of opera plot episodes is that I picked an opera or two or three that I did not reveal to Elspeth or Kyle with ridiculous plots and Elspeth did the same and which is going to be in another episode and so Kyle is hearing all of this for the first time <laughs> and I just come with as I say my empty head <laughs> <laughs> so some historical context for the operas that I chose uh, do we all know who Paul Hindemith is vaguely familiar yes All right, so for our listeners out there who are not super familiar with him because he's not exactly a big hit on the opera circuit, Mm -hmm. he is a composer of the early 20th century, uh, really strongly affiliated with the Expressionist era in his youth, so to speak, and then Mm -hmm. later on he goes on to do uh, other things. He gets really into like educational stuff and Mm -hmm. music for everyday use and that type of thing. So he writes a lot of chamber music, but he does some really uh, weird, wacky, strange things in opera, especially at the beginning of the 20th century in the Expressionist craze. And so I found his first three operas. So to actually give you, I didn't really find them. I took a class called literally 20th Century Opera and the Problem of Women. Mm. Oh, great. Tell, right. me, tell me about it. It was actually a really <laughs> interesting class. It was a great class. But... 
It involved learning about some really obscure, really crazy operas in the 20th century, and this was one of them. And so Hindemith's first three operas were actually this triptych of expressionist works. And so uh, they are titled first Murder, Hoffnung der Frauen, or in English, Murder, Murderer, Hope of Women. Mm. All right. Then the second one, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing this correctly, uh, Das Nusnuchi. Okay. I don't know even what that translates to in English. <laughs> <laughs> and then the but third it sounds one. sounds scandalous. Right. Sounds scandalous. The third one is Sancta Susanna. So uh, basically, these are like ridiculously sexually charged and kind of crazy works because that was a big thing in the Expressionist era, right? right. We have Freud comes out at the turn of the century. Um, we have all kinds of people writing about like women and sexuality and that sort of thing. And so opera composers start taking up these themes. So really the subject of sexuality is what connects all three of nice. these. Opera after dark, right? Right. Earning our explicit rating. And so... Finally, it's Naomi's turn. <laughs> right. I know. It's my turn. Okay, so the first one, uh, Murderer, Hope of Women. This one's a little bit more kind of conceptual, I would say. It's based on a libretto by Oscar Kokoschka. Is that how you say his name? I don't know who that is. Kokoschka? Kokoschka? Kokoschka sounds more fun. Yeah, Kokoschka. Okay. So it's based on a play by him, and his play was written in 1907. Hindemith doesn't start writing this until 1919. It goes Mm. on stage in 1921. So it's set in antiquity. It depicts a violent erotic encounter. (laughs) This is how it's described in the Grove Dictionary of Music. Which includes... <laughs> Do those words go together? No, they don't. Violent erotic encounter, which includes a branding and a stabbing. Oh. Right? Between Simultaneously? I don't think it happens simultaneously. Are we um, talking like S&M? Are we talking like a force of, you know, no. a forced encounter? No, it's... I think there's a forced branding like... You know, like a fire iron on yeah, yeah, somebody, yeah. Mm-hmm. and then there's also a stabbing, like with intent to murder. I think. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. How many people are in this opera? Is it just two? So there's a man, and he's just called like the man, and it's a baritone. And of there's course. a woman, and she is a soprano. And yeah. then they are each accompanied by a trio of servants. <laughs> so it's not a large cast, and it's not that long either. It's only like an hour long or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then what happens is it ends with a tower uh, where the action takes place and then everything kind of goes up in flames. And it's through composed, it's really symphonic, and it has some late romanticism traces. And I'm trying to find my more thorough plot synopsis. But Do we have a musical clip from it? We do have a musical clip from it. It's I'll play some of it so you can hear it. Great. But... Should I play it now? So you yeah, play it now okay. while you're looking for the While I, plot while I look for my plot synopsis, here is a little taste of Murderer, Hope of Women. <gasps>
Okay, so. Well, just quickly, yeah. uh, two words that Elspeth and I have come up with to describe the music is uh, are ominous and majestic. Ominous? I said um, ominous. Elspeth's the weirdo that said. Look, that's a lot of brass. Very stately. Mm -hmm. It's good, though. Very beautiful music. Well, yeah. there was a, a comment on the YouTube video I was watching that I thought you would enjoy. The first comment on this recording was, quote, so Hindemith wrote an opera called Mordor, which begins sounding <laughs> like the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. I actually was thinking that. <laughs> it does, kind of. It sounds very, very Lord of the Rings-esque. Well, if we ever cast topic. a Lord of the Rings gonna opera, be so long. we know that it will be with Hindemith rising from the dead to compose right. the music. It could work. Okay, so the plot, according to Wikipedia, mm. which is quite short, says, Murderer, the hope of women, is set in the past. At night, in front of a large tower... Action is focused on the characters of, quote, the man with his band of warriors and, quote, the woman with her group of maidens. It begins with the man riding to the woman's tower. The maidens and the woman see him approaching. And then the woman and the man both question each other as to who looked at the other. While the maidens and the warrior compare the man to a conqueror and the woman to a dangerous beast. What? Yeah, I know. Remember, this is like a pretty misogynist time in history. The woman feels consumed by the man's gaze. Of course. And says she is devoured by his light. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the man then orders that the woman be branded with his mark. Uh. In response, the woman stabs him. Oh, good. Right? Well, at least oh, cool. That. Does he die? I'm getting to that. <laughs> Elspeth won't be a She's ready for that. Unless there's death. The warriors deny any knowledge of the man and run off with the maidens, locking the man in the tower. So his peoples abandon him. Right. Mm. And then the man makes faint movements, and the woman demands to see him again. As the man slowly recovers from his stab wound, the woman reciproc reciprocally <laughs> loses him? her strength. No, loses uh. her strength. So as he starts to feel better, she starts... Feeling worse. Okay. Yeah. She mm. desperately demands to be set free from the man's chains. The man rises, tears open the door, and kills the woman with a touch. He kills the warriors and the maidens in a similar way and then exits through a passage of fire. Thus endeth murderer hope of women. Well, I wonder so, why that's not part of the standard <laughs> repertory. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> when she stabbed him, she should have done it correctly and just killed him. I thought yeah. you were going to say, uh, as he slowly regained his strength, then the woman came and slid his throat. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could rewrite this so and maybe we'd get please. more traction. What does that mean? Well, the, a lot of people write about this opera because it is so crazy. There's an article uh, called Pseudoscience and Mythic Misogyny, Oscar Kokoschka's Murderer, Hope of Women by Claude Cernucci, hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And I love that guy. <laughs> Good stuff from old <laughs> Right? And so he talked a lot about how the concept of women in this is that they're unbroken and they're beastly and they're driven by primal urges. And that's directly tied, apparently, to the expressionist aesthetic. And then the source of the libretto, which is Kokoschka, is also bound up in all of that. And so 
philosophers of the fin de siècle era, this turn of the century, um, looking back to sources from antiquity. So they really place it in like a kind of ancient Greek setting. Mm -hmm. And they basically talk about how it's the social, artistic, and scientific influences that contributed to changing views of femininity in the expressionist area, er, era from being exclusively chaste to excessively sexual. When were these analyses written? You know? Well, this article was 1999. Like, they're but all the, pretty The decent. first gentleman, uh, Claude, I believe yes, is his name? Yes, 1999. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. But, okay, I'll, I'll keep going because... I'm upset. <laughs> this, one, <laughs> this one is... It's, it's mostly to do with like power struggle and gays and that kind of thing. Right. Um, but honestly, it was a product of its time. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not done anymore because what the hell? That's bullshit. Well, right. The thing uh, is, so if we're, if we're conceptualizing time, like this time period, I think was, uh, yeah, right around like when Puccini was doing Tritico, and then right before he did um, Turandot. And we yeah. all know that Puccini. <laughs> Love women. <laughs> he loved right. them a lot. He loved them a lot. Perhaps too much, but for his own good. Yep, that's true. But I just mean I don't remember any of those being overly misogynistic or... No, but I think this is a very specific sort of expressionist movement. Puccini was yeah. definitely not, yeah, not part, of, part of that. No, no, no. Okay, so then he goes on to write New Snoochie. Dots New Snoochie. So this was... Is it somebody's name? So, okay. I'm interrupting you. We need, no, to, okay. we need to Google Translate it. I'm going to Google Translate Okay, it. but please, Naomi, continue. Okay, so this is from Grove. There's not a lot written, like, info about just the basics of these, and getting <laughs> recordings is kind of rough. And so this one is subtitled, A Play for Burmese Marionettes. Cool. Oh. Okay. I'm into it already. Okay, so the work employs a large cast of live singers and dancers. Uh, even though it has this like puppetry element to it, and That's cool. oh, the noose Nucci is a fabulous beast, half rat, half <laughs> caiman. Cool. And he plays only a minor role in the story, which concerns the story itself is all about the simultaneous seduction of four of the emperor's wives by the handsome Zat Zatvai, a silent role. Hmm. So do the puppets? Um, well, first of all, are there actually puppets? Oh, there are. Yeah. Wow, that sounds so cool. They have an it does opera. Sound really cool. Like have like a chamber opera or like a concert performance of something where you have puppets acting out the plot. So was Hinman really into like Nepalese puppetry or? I don't know. I think it was just that he was attracted to the kind of Orientalist vibe mm. of the story because yeah. apparently he really exploits it in the score. Like he in drags out. Way? He drags out like every. <laughs> Stereotype trope apparently in the music mm, mm. and racist and misogynistic. so what's, yeah. the, what's the plot? What does the okay rat beast do? <laughs> rat so, beast. so th there's this emperor. He has four wives. There's this handsome silent stranger who's trying to seduce them. Uh, his servant shifts the blame from Zatvai, the silent role, onto uh, the army chief, who, however proves eventually to be incapable of having compromised the wives. Oh, no. And so then... Um, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And then, basically, I'm not even sure how this ends. Oh, right. I remember. So then what ends up happening is that because 
uh, Zatvai and his servant have basically pinned all of the seductions on this other guy. Uh, he gets taken in front of the emperor and then the emperor accuses him of seducing his wives and sentences him to be castrated. And then when they go to castrate him, they discover, the court discovers that he's already castrated. And so then the whole opera ends in this like really jolly singing and dancing. So, you know, there you go. Sounds but, about right. Um, he, Hindemith, quotes a bunch of different composers, including uh, Wagner and a few others, and quotes some of King Mark's lines from Tristan. Oh, nice. And so... Uh, uh, musically or textually? Musical, oh, musically. Great. So Wagner, Mahler, and a couple others, Strauss, he quotes them throughout the score. Huh. Um, but apparently, it did not go over well at all with the press, and they said that the opera as a whole signifies a desecration of our art institutions. The content is of indescribable meanness. Everything that is sacred mm. to us is dragged into the slime here by a non-German German spirit. Do you think that's because of the, oh, because of the quoting? They think that he shouldn't be touching those composers' works because he's not German. No, I think it's more just because it was so shocking what he was depicting mm, okay. that it was like morally debased, and so people mm. were just shocked because it's all about like seduction, basically, in this particular one. So I think that's... Seduction's good. I would watch that. I mean, I it know. sounds really interesting with the puppets and stuff. Yeah, it's all and about sensual pleasures. The rat, the rat beast. So. Yeah. <laughs> all, all things that go hand in hand. Right? Why not? So this... I'm assuming that these were performed like in a, in a single evening. Murderer, Hope of Women, and the new Snoochie were performed on the same day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fun to say. <laughs> Can you imagine people singing that? <laughs> new Snoochie. <laughs> what about? So, oh, and then the they were final, performed together. We do not yet. Know. The final one, Ooh. which is actually the really crazy one of the three of them, I think, okay. because it's just. It makes me like cringe. It's so out there. But wait, wait. Do we have music from New Snoochie? Oh, we no? do have yes. music from New Snoochie, so we'll listen to some of it. Cause I mean, it's it sounds pretty good. So. Das New Snoochie. New Snoochie, Ich bekomme immer die Schläge, wenn es schlecht ausgeht. Das hat es sich nun in den Kopf gesetzt. Eine Frau des Kaisers, die Priester Sieg, hab ihm heute Morgen vor ihrem Fenster aus ein gewisses Zeichen gemacht. Ich muss sie nun holen. Da drüben ist der Frauenpalast, denn ich wusste, welche Oh, 
So that sounded near what we thought about. <laughs> thought it might sound like. I liked it. Yeah. I I'd be interested to see this actually. Really... The first one, no, no. The this first one, one's rough. Yeah, okay. This one could be interesting with the puppets and stuff. I think it'd yeah. be super, super cool. All right. So okay, moving on. I feel like we're building up to what you actually really want to talk about. <laughs> this is the last one in the triptych, which I kind of feel like was like the nail in the coffin as far as everyone was concerned, because the first two where they dealt with like heavy themes that were controversial and but then this one comes along and he doesn't try and get it staged until 1922 and when the person who conducted the first two saw this one he was like oh no i'm not conducting that (laughs) i'm not doing it (laughs) yeah this one is about what is this called this is called sancta susanna okay okay this is uh about a nun Oh, no. Oh, Oh, yeah. It's getting bad. And so the opera opens in a convent (laughs) at night. The protagonist, her name is Susanna, Mm -hmm. and she's lying in front of an altar and she's praying. And then throughout the first part of the opera, she's approached by a number of people in the convent or in the convent and uh, Sister Clementia is like keeps coming back again and again. And she keeps saying that Susanna is sick and she um, is like not long for this earth, that kind of thing. Mm. And then there's this pedal point in the organ apparently that just is held throughout this whole thing. And so it's like really eerie underneath it. Ooh. There's a lot of extra musical sounds like bells and that type of thing to kind of create the whole atmosphere that she's in. And so Wait, Susanna... Should we, should we listen to some of it before you reveal anything? Like build some suspense? Oh, okay. Way. Here, we can play some of the openings. You can get a sense it's of like some... what it sounds yes, like. Yes, please. <laughs> some what? Uh, that's the, <laughs> that's the, that's the, the pedal point. Oh, that's the pedal point. Okay. Yeah. Uh, right. Ling, ling, ling. That's the bell. Right.
very, very ominous. It does. It sounds like something real bad is about to happen. Beautiful, right? but but bad. Right. The opera, the whole thing is only like 25 minutes or half an hour, so it's not oh, a long okay. work. How right? long are the other ones? They're not long either. Okay. So most of them are like 40 minutes. So I think one of them is 40 minutes, one of them is half an hour. These are like short little things. It's supposed to be right. in one evening. Yeah. Presumably. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Susanna's praying, right? And then she hears all of these things through the window of the convents and she uh, smells like sweet scents from the outside. She hears people passing by. Um, and then basically the synopsis is saying that like she increasingly finds herself seduced and basically turned on by all of these things that she's hearing and seeing through the window. And at one nice. point mm -hmm. she nice. actually hears like two lovers outside and it gets her really excited. And then like right outside the window? As it should. It's a convent. It's not it's not clear <laughs> if they're actually doing anything oh, yeah. or if they're just like this That's yes. weird. <laughs> it's not really clear if the lovers she hears are like doing anything or if they're just, you know, whispering sweet nothings. But she's just mm. You're giving me this skeptical look like <laughs> super skeptical. Or if they're actually real. What if she's Oh no, she... they're real. I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. they're real. I mean uh -huh. But who knows? We never see them. They're outside the window, huh. right? Okay. Do we hear them? Yes, we hear them. In like they're like ambient noise around her, right? Oh, okay. So they're not but they're nobody's, not sung. Nobody's no. singing. Oh, okay. There are only three sung roles in mm -hmm. this and they are all women. Oh. Mm -hmm. what? All right. I, I mean, mean, it's so. not scandalous, but I feel like at that time it was scandalous. Right. Well, also knowing that something like ominous and perhaps sexually charged is going to happen. Yeah. Super scandalous. Well, all right. So she's sitting okay. in, the, in this in this uh, chapel and she's praying and she's right. getting turned on. Right. Things and then the things that she hears through the window right, and right, right. smells through the window, and then she basically starts praying to try and like ward off all of these feelings, right? Mm -hmm. And Sister Clementia comes in, she tells her a tale, she's trying to like distract Susanna from all of these thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. So she tells her a tale about another nun, Sister Beata, who gave in to her erotic fantasies and as punishment was bricked up behind the altar. Oh! Yeah, right? No! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Susanna, hers. after hearing this, is no longer capable of abstaining from everything she's feeling. She discards her veil. She rips the loincloth from the crucifix in front of her. <gasps> oh! <laughs> Go on. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was an excellent reaction. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Didn't see that one coming. I did not. Um, I not thought either. it was going to be some girl on girl. I did too. And then she demands punishment from the nuns who have gathered around her because they're like so, you know, they can't believe what, what she's doing, right? And so they've all congregated around her. And then musically, there's this sequence in the woodwinds and strings that's abruptly cut off by a piercing, dissonant, yet dynamically restrained chord in the upper strings. Mm -hmm. And then following this, the vocal lines and the brasses uh, kind of all converge onto a chant where the nuns just start chanting Satan, Satan, Satan all mm. around her. What? Oh, yeah. Man. And that's basically how it ends is like Susanna's in this like sexual frenzy and then the nuns are chanting Satan around her. And so usually when it's staged, and believe it or not, this has been staged, Susanna basically ends up ripping like all of her clothes off at right. the end while all the nuns are, because she's in this sexual craze, and then all the nuns mm. are just like chanting around her. Mm. 
And throughout most of the opera, there's this like super eerie dissonant minor second that's just pounded over and over and over again and keeps coming back. So. Gosh, I have a messed up imagination. <laughs> because when you, like at different parts, I was like, when you said that she ripped off the loincloth of the Jesus statue, I, I oh my gosh, I thought she was like going to defile it. Well, I think in the staging, that's kind of what people end up doing. Even though it's not like explicit in the plot, I think right. they go there in do the you, staging. Do you have a clip of them at the end? Yes, and I'm going to show like you. Satan, Satan, Satan. Well, I'm oh, going to. Well, I have a clip that will probably make you. Is this going to give me what? nightmares? It might. It gave me nightmares. <laughs> so <Ugh. laughs> that's exactly what you're going to what you're going to say when you see it.
was so, intense. These, for the record, are the most messed up opera plots I could find. So. Are we going to link to the video or is that? <laughs> <laughs> we could. Just a naked body. Yeah, yeah. 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 All right, peeps. For all you opera pervs out there. <laughs> so, well, I want to thank everybody for sticking with us through this episode. And if you join us next week for the second part in our What the Hell series, we will be discussing an opera that does not involve such a misogynistic view of women and their sexuality. So join us next time for that. Oh, for the record, yes. by the end of his life, Hindemith kind of divorced himself from these. He was like ashamed sort of in his older age that he ever wrote them. Huh. And so he kind of disowned them well, and attributed them to, you know, just being caught up in the fervor of the time period. Yeah, okay, he dude. was like 24 when he wrote them. But. Whatever. Interesting. Yeah. Whatever. Well, I suppose everybody so. should be thinking, what the hell? Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. And on that note, I'm Elspeth. I'm Kyle. I'm Naomi. And join us next week for another thrilling episode of Opera After Dark. German recitative. I was not sure where you were going with that. Um, any form of misogyny. Um, I, just I thought really... you were going to be like, any puppet sex? <laughs> <laughs> I really like it. Any time that the puppets get it on, I, I'm really into it. I enjoy. <laughs> Stop staring at me. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> I will never die. That's a Team America reference for everybody out there Sorry. who's a big fan. Oh, shoot. I forgot the giant spider and the dancing monkeys. Uh, I'll write about it on the blog. What? There are three women. How many men? No men. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you got to save her. <laughs>